Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and developments of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age heroes throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Today we are looking at issue 170 of The Flash, cover dated May 1967 and published the 7th of March 1967, which is only a couple of days out from, from my birthday, a few years of scans, that's, oh, quite, that's quite exciting. Yeah, we're just basically going to get straight on with this one, there's not, there's not really too much of a preamble to, to talk about, we don't want to spoil the story as it unfolds, but you've probably read it already, let's be honest. Pete, do that thing when you tell us about the cover. I certainly shall, David, thank you. We're still in that amazing Google Check era of DC Comics with the Google Checks at the top underneath mm-hmm. the Flash logo. And the scene on the cover is carnage. There's a gang war on the streets. We've got one hood firing a machine gun at another hood. Uh, one of them's hidden behind a wall. One of them's hidden behind an armoured car. There's thugs all over the place. One guy's knocked out and he's on the ground. Another guy is punching someone out, falling over someone else. There's another thug who's about to launch and attack him. And jogging on. Past all of them is our hero, Barry Allen, The Flash. And he's saying, Things are sure quiet in town tonight. Might as well turn in. And the caption on the cover says, Unbelievable. The see-nothing spells of Abracadabra. It's a beauty. It really is. It's drawn by Carmen Infantino and inked by Murphy Anderson, which mm-hmm. probably explains why there's a full moon behind the flash. <laughs> That's the very cover. true, yes. The armoured car has been tipped over and it's basically, it looks like one of the wheels has been set on fire. There's mm-hmm. other cars behind that are tipped over. It looks like there's maybe some innocent passers-by that are down in the street. Yes. As Pete says, it, it's carnage. Mm-hmm. And the flash seems oblivious. There's a real Silver age feel to it. You know, yeah. We're kind of creeping to the tail end of what I would say was the Silver Age. The the yes, Bronze Age is on the horizon, yep. but this one could have been done any time in the previous eight or nine years. I think it's yeah. it's really really crisp and it's it's a joy. I mean, it's there's so much going on. It's what's the word? It's very kinetic. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Gorgeous yellow flash logo against the dark blue evening sky and the, and the wall. It's a beaut. I'm a big fan of this cover. It must be said. So shall we get straight into it then? Let's do so. We have an opening splash panel. Caption says: Story by Gardner Fox. Big flash logo. Art by Carmine Infantino by Sid Green and the first little caption box you're familiar with the three wise monkeys and um, well, we have the three wise flashes you see a Barry Flash with his hand over his mouth hand over his eyes hands over his ears and the caption reads speak no evil see no evil hear no evil and there's another caption box that says such is the terrible fate that falls upon the fastest man on earth he cannot see any crooks he cannot even hear them and even if he should arrest them, he would be unable to testify against them. Flashy's value as a superhero has become nil. That's unfortunate. Now, the opening splash image shows the Flash, and it looks like he's, he's having some trouble with his uniform. It looks like it's fallen off him a little bit, like he's shrunk within it, but that's not really what's going on, because Barry Flash is being struck by a bolt of green energy. PC, who is he being struck by? Who's wielding this green energy? By one of my favourite Flash foes, Abracadabra. Abracadabra, tremendous. And Abracadabra, of course, first appeared in issue 128 of The Flash. And it's a really fun story because basically he's a magician in the 64th century. And there's no call for a magician. He goes to the job right. centre, checks the bulletin board for jobs. <laughs> and there is nothing pinned under magicians. 
Because that's, uh, <laughs> that's how the future works, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, if you're looking for a, a job in the future, you have to go to the Labour Exchange, Job Centre, whatever <laughs> you want to call it, and check the bulletin boards to see what's pinned up there. The case of the real Gordon Flash was his first appearance. Very memorable cover where Barry looks like he's sort of been vanished out of his costume. I think that's the yes, one, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one, yep. Yeah. Yes, he uses his advanced 64th century science to imitate magic. And he decided to come back to the 20th century because it's the golden age of magicians. And he was going to impress us all here, but instead, people weren't all that impressed. So he decided to turn to crime. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, well, that's a shame. Hamsters all. Yeah. Let's quickly just pin that though. Issue 128, so mm-hmm. it's five issues after Jay Garrick's first Silver Age appearance. Yes. One issue before the first team up of other rogues and the second flash the second flash team up, so that's worth noting. Anyway, right so in the middle of all that. Good. Back to issue 170 then. So Abracadabra is zapping Barry Flash with a little burst of green magic, and Flash, having some costume trouble, is saying, ah, Someone I can't see constricting my uniform. Crushing me to death! And Abracadabra is saying, The name's Abracadabra Flash, but you can't see or even hear me! We should probably describe Abracadabra. He always reminds me of Sinestro in a way. He is, does have that look, yeah. Sort of overtly, sort of pinky face. He has a big, long, noodly moustache, big, kind of funny kiss curl, wears a kind of cape. He's almost like a cross between Sinestro and Dr. Light. That's how I've always thought. And he's got the reverse Flash's hairdo. Yes. Yes, the, the big comb-over. Yes, the, the comb-over <laughs> kiss curl, uh-huh. which is so popular in those days. It kind of looks like the costume is falling off, Barry. Or it looks in a way that he's sort of shrinking inside it. It's very odd. Hard to describe. But his boots are coloured in red. We should yes. mention that. Uh-huh. Straight away, his boots are the wrong colour. So there we go. That's but, magic. Yes. Maybe that's a side effect of the magic. It could Maybe. be. So we should probably get straight on into the story. Because otherwise, we'll be here all night. So, yeah. top of page two then. And the first caption for the first panel says... As the curtain goes down on the Central City Civic Centre production of A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And we can see the hoi polloi of Central City are out for the night. We can see some fur coats and some very immaculately turned out people. Again, we'll see the inking looks particularly heavy on this one. A bit like I noticed on the issue Green Lantern that we did recently. Sid's obviously got, a, got some new ink for Christmas. So we can see Barry and we can see Iris there amongst the throng. And Iris is saying... Hurry, Barry, I want to see my old classmate, Margot Tyler, who played the role of Alessande. I'm moving as fast as I can, dear. Caption for the next panel. Barry, Flash, Alan, and his wife, Iris, make their way backstage, where... And we see Iris greeting her old friend, Margot. Margot says, Iris, darling! Margot, honey! And in the background, tuxedoed Barry Allen is looking off to the side and thinking, Here's the real star of the show. The man who played Merlin the Magician. His magic feats were spectacular. Caption for next panel. After being introduced to Margot Tyler, Barry finds himself in turn shaking hands with... John Cardine. And we see Margot's hand gesturing as Barry shakes hands with John. The John is wearing a sort of... He reminds me of Moppy in a way, almost, actually. <laughs> He's wearing a loose sort of hooded top which has little stars and moons all over it. Very elaborate, coiffured brown hair going on and... The other people who are at this little backstage event are all rendered in silhouettes. Very effective looking. Absolutely, yes. Um, we can see Barry's crew cut looks as if it's growing out slightly as he shakes hands with Mr. Cardine, or maybe it's Cardine. And Barry's saying, Congratulations, Mr. Cardine, on a super performance. I hope your show has a long run. Moments later, a voice booms loud in Barry Allen's ears. And we get an extreme close-up of Barry listening as rendered in large letters 
we see what he's hearing, and this voice is apparently saying, I'm happy to see you here, Flash, but don't worry, I won't tell the world you're Barry Allen. Not yet. Barry's thinking, huh, he says he won't tell the world, but he's bellowing the news all over the place. The next panel shows Barry from behind, looking around the other people at the theatre, and he's thinking, why isn't everybody turning to stare at me? That voice was certainly loud and clear enough. Who in this room spoke those words anyway? Next panel, final panel, page two, shows Barry regarding John Carbine, who's exhaling on a cigarette, and Barry thinks, Evidently, I was the only one who heard the voice. It's like sheer magic. Huh. Could Merlin have pulled that trick on me? Barry continues to ponder on the first panel of page three. The way Merlin, John Carbine, did those magic stunts on stage as if they were real. The only man I know who can really do such things is Abracadabra, and he's in a 64th century prison. Next panel shows Barry in conversation with Margot and his wife, and Iris is saying, Barry, Margot and I are going to Darcy's for an after-theatre snack and some girl talk. I wouldn't mind if you begged off. Thanks, honey. If you're an understanding wife, I'll head on home. Barry thinks, I couldn't ask for a better break or excuse to get away from Iris. The next caption for the next panel says, Soon in a darkened stage alley, the police department scientist lifts a ring from his pockets, touches a secret spring, which ejects a flashy uniform that expands in contact with the air. And in traditional Earth 2 podcast, see what you see, styly, that's exactly what happens. The next panel shows a costumed flash circling a street corner and accelerating along, thinking, now to follow John Cardine at invisible vibrational speed before I move in to ask my questions. John Cardine, brother ahead of him on the pavement. The next panel, the Flash has followed John Cardine to a shop which has the legend outside, Ceramics Castle. The Flash is thinking, huh? He's going into Ceramics Castle after closing hours. Why is he so interested in the special display of rare ceramics in there? I wonder if there's any ceramic bookends. Maybe, mm. maybe, maybe the thinker is robbing it as we yeah, speak. Yeah, I hope not. I refer you back to our episode on mm. the thinker in the Atom 29. Yes. The final panel of page three, the Flash is now inside Ceramics Castle and it looks as though something very bad's going down. As Barry whooshes in, he's thinking, I was only footsteps behind Cardine and no sign of him. But coincidentally enough, there's a gang of crooks here helping themselves to those priceless ceramics. And sure enough, there are four bad guys, one of them casting a massive shadow, which is quite fun. And they're helping themselves, indeed. We see some ceramics ranged on shelves. But one guy in a hat is lifting one up off of a counter. Over the page to page four. Barry gets stuck in straight away with a swat. He looks like he's vibrating one of them up into the air by twisting his right arm, punching one of their guys with his left hand. And the list goes on, he thinks, I may not have anything tangible in Cardine, but I've sure caught these crooks with the goods. In the next panel, one of the baddies is firing at the flash, and he says... I heard you're faster than a bullet, Flash. But what about two bullets? Zeroing in on your head from two different directions. Yeah, because this bad guy's fine with two guns, but the Flash is rushing towards him, beating one of the bad guy's pals up in the air. He's spinning his right arm round and round and casts the guy round and round in a little whirlwind. Flash says, I'll duck that problem. And the next panel, he punches out the gunman, still twirling the other guy out, and the Flash says, Looks like I got you first with a fist. And in the final panel of page four, with a thwack and a whop and a zonk, Barry releases the hood that he was twirling above in the vortex and knocks out the other bad guys, thinking, Now to wrap this up by whipping my air-spinning crook into the others. Terrific. See what you see. We have a tiny caption that says, Continued on second page following. There's a nice full-page advert for some vintage G.I. Joe. And then as we arrive at the top of page five, there's a caption that says, 
Soon afterward, at a police precinct station... This is a very moody panel. There's not an awful lot of background detail. We have the silhouette of the city, but it's obviously night time. It's obviously very dark. There's obviously not a lot of streetlights in this particular part of town. And we see the Flash walking the baddies that he's just dealt with up the steps into the police station. The Flash is saying, in you go. And before we go further with the rest of this panel, we should probably mention that on the right-hand side of the panel, we see there's a mysterious figure. You don't see their face, they have a hat, they have a coat pulled up, the collar pulled up around their neck. And there's one of those little carmine caption panels that Peter's so fond of. Yes. That has a little hand pointing out. And this little hand is pointing at this shady figure. And the little caption box says, Who he? Mm. I wonder when we'll find out. And as the Flash is walking the bad guys up the steps of the police precinct station, there's an elderly gentleman in a sort of check jacket running towards him. And he says, Flash, I was hoping I'd see you here. As the owner of Ceramics Castle, I want to thank you for saving those display treasures and give you this medallion as a reward. And the old man drops this medallion into the Flash's hands. And the medallion, it's a sort of circle. There's a blue circle, there's a white circle, and there's a blue circle, and a white circle in the middle. The Flash says, how'd you learn so quickly what I'd done? And hold it, I don't accept rewards. There's a caption for the next panel. For a single moment, the Scarlet Speedster drops his eyes to the medallion on his palm. Indeed, the Flash looks down at it and he thinks, what an odd device. And then we have another little one of those Carmine caption panels, which kind of does a little bit of the storytelling for us, because there's a hand coming off pointing at Barry, and there's another hand coming off pointing at the medallion in the Flash's hand. And this caption box with the little hands says, Uh-oh, you shouldn't have done that, Flash. You took the bait and are hooked. Indeed, then, for the caption in the next panel says, But when he seeks to return the reward... And this is another CBC moment. The old man's gone. Barry Flash says, Here, take it back and... Huh? Where'd he go? I'll leave it at the station house for him to recover. And as we move indoors, the caption says, As the Scarlet Speedster enters the police station... And there's a desk sergeant, very friendly looking chap, looking down at the Flash and he says, Looks like you had a busy night, Flash. What's the charge against these guys? And the Flash says, Charge? Why? I don't know. I can't imagine why I brought them in. And we can see the bad guys from Ceramic Castle all standing having a right laugh to themselves in the background. We move to the top of page six. The Flash continues, I don't know of any harm they've done. Why? They don't even look like criminals. And one of the bad guys says, Them's mighty kind words, Flash. Now if you'll excuse us, we gotta get going. My apologies, gentlemen, for inconveniencing you. Gets cut off by one of the bad guys who says, That's okay, Flash, and in turn, we'll bring no charges against you for a false arrest. And it looks, this is great, because it looks like the policeman is sort of rubbing his head, you know, with exasperation, and he's yeah. saying, What's going on around here? So, we're outside the police station now. The caption for the next panel says, As a puzzled Flash leaves the precinct house... So we see Barry has his hand up to his head. He's obviously in deep thought. And again, the spooky, shadowy person who we saw on the previous page still standing there. Again, there's a little caption box with a hand gesturing towards him that says, To repeat, who he? And this person, who we only see from the back, is thinking, We came here too late. All we can do now is wait for our opportunity to help Flash. And in close-up in the next panel, Barry Flash is thinking, I just don't understand it. I could see nothing wrong with those men. And we get another caption box with a little hand pointing out from it. And two fingers of this hand are indicating two other shadowy figures wearing hats pulled down over their faces and collars pulled up. And this little caption box says, You say you want more for your money? Tell you what we're going to do. 
Here are two more mystery men to wonder about. Interesting. We move to the next panel, and again there's another little caption box with a hand, and it says, You think Flash has troubles? How about Artemis Jackson, who is being held up at gunpoint at this very moment? And as the Flash is seen wandering along many his own business, to the alleyway in the side of him, there's a thug with a gun, holding up a poor innocent mustachioed victim. And the thug is saying, Okay, let's have your wallet, chum. And his victim says, Not now I won't. Here comes the Flash. Oh, not that old chestnut. The Flash ain't nowhere near here. Better hand over that wallet while you're still alive. Okay, but you'll never get away with it. Flash is right behind you now. Uh-huh, sure he is. Oh, brother. What some guys won't do to save a buck. And indeed, behind the thug with a gun, we can see the Flash, but he doesn't seem to be noticing what's going on. Top of page seven. The hold-up continues as the thug holds up the victim's wallet and says, Over a hundred smackers. Not bad. The victim says, Psst, Flash, over here. Look what's going on. Cut it out, will you? Thanks for nothing, Flash. And the baddie, who's counting the money, looks around and sees indeed that the Flash is walking past. And he says, oh, he's really here. It's a fantastic double take. That yeah, it's great. The two faces. Yes, it's, it's a nice bit of work by Carmine sort of showing that's actually happening. Very fluid. Mm-hmm. The next panel, we're now on page seven. This is panel three. The bad guy's holding up the money. And he looks quite delighted, actually. And he's saying, Flash, would you believe I was checking serial numbers to see if this man won a newspaper contest? <laughs> would you believe I bet him he didn't even have a $5 bill in his wallet? <laughs> would you believe huh? he walked right past me as if he didn't even see me? I, I'd, I'd report this to the police if I thought they'd believe me. Good grief. A poor man. Then we arrive at the bottom of page seven and the caption says, The Scarlet Speedster moves on toward an armoured car smash-up. And with a massive crash! Sound effect, very Batman TV show. We see the aforementioned armoured car being rammed by a saloon car. I wonder if it's the armoured car we saw on the cover. Inside the saloon car, a bad guy is saying, Yeah, it's a flash. What a time we picked to pull this armoured car job. Indeed, because Barry's in the foreground of this panel as all this is going on, but he seems oblivious. We arrive at the top of page eight. The bad guys have got out of the car. The first one says, He don't see us or hear us. How lucky can a guy get? And the second thug says, Maybe he doesn't work overtime. Let's grab the door and run. We can see the armoured car on its side, smoke coming from it. No sign of the drivers, that's very worrying. Anyway, Mm. the caption for the next panel says, Again, the night erupts around him as two touring cars barrel down Central Boulevard with rival mobsters triggering their guns. This panel's actually hilarious because Barry's just basically walked right off the pavement across the road as two cars go zooming past with rat-a-tat, blam-blam, as they're firing machine guns at each other from inside the car. A voice from inside the blue car says, Look, it's a Scarlet Speedster himself. And then a voice from inside the purple car says, We'd better call a truce and settle this later. And then the voice from the blue car says in the next panel, He ain't doing nothing to stop us. And the voice from the purple car says, Then keep on shooting. Yeah, because the flash is now, looks like he's just crossed the road and kept on going. There's a screech of brakes as the two cars keep going. And we have a caption that runs out this chapter that says, Wow, is Central City in for trouble if Flash can neither see nor hear criminals? But read what happens as the story continues on the fourth page following. The rest of this page is taken up with a house ad for Nice Issue JLA, looks at issue 53, I think that says. Over the page we have an advertisement for Showcase and the Maniacs, who have the letters page for the issue. Over the next page is an advertisement for an 80-page giant issue of Superboy. 
which is one that I don't actually have, actually. Hmm, okay. And then we arrive at story page nine, and a caption box that says, The See Nothing Spells of Abracadabra, part two. Well, basically, the cover image here is almost the cover image from a slightly different angle. The Flash is marching along. We can see the armoured car tipped over on its side. Tommy guns being fired by gangsters. People punching each other out. Bullets and ratatats and blam blam blams. There's a very conspicuous full moon. And the Flash is completely unaware of this. Indeed, we get a caption that says, Like a man bereft of his senses, the fastest man on earth races along Central Boulevard. He hears nothing except his own voice. The chatter of submachine guns, the raucous shouts of robbers, the cries of helpless victims, all go unheeded. Yeah, and as the Flash is running along, and I didn't actually mention, there is someone crying for help in the background, so he's obviously spotted the Flash and cried on him for help. The Flash is thinking exactly the same thing as what he's seeing on the cover. Things sure are quiet in town tonight. I might as well turn in. Bottom panel, page nine. It's a close-up of the three moody strangers who we saw earlier on. As they observe a baddie throwing a brick through a jeweler's shop window. And with a caption that says, Hard on his heels come the three strangers who have trailed him all the way from the police station. The first of these three moody strangers, hat pulled down over his face, says, This is worse than we thought. The second one, who's wearing a sort of green suit, has a green hat, he's very significantly wearing little round dark glasses. And he's saying, Maybe we better interfere to stop this wave of lawlessness. And the final figure says, No, we don't dare take a hand yet. We must wait until we get Flash alone in private. Top of page 10, and we have a caption that says, Other eyes are also televiewing the Scarlet Speedster bypass crime after crime as mocking laughter rises into the air. Yes, back with the man from Ceramic Castles who's watching the Flash on a little television screen. He's saying, (laughs) My scheme is working perfectly! Now to change from this assumed identity back to my real self. And this next panel, same panel of page 10, shows the man from Ceramic Castle change first of all into John Cardine, who we met at the theatre, and then into another figure. And as all this takes place, he is saying, With my control pack, which enables me to switch personalities, I change from my appearance as a Ceramics Castle owner to the face of actor John Cardine, which in turn was a disguise for my real self. Abra Cadabra, criminal genius of the 64th century, whose future science enables me to function in this 20th century as a great magician. Very helpfully now, we ripple into flashback for the next couple of pages, and these flashbacks are narrated by Abra Cadabra, the now revealed Abra Cadabra, and so his first little narration caption box says, Just a little while ago... I was in the 64th century, where I had been imprisoned after my capture by the Flash. We see Abra looking a bit fed up, and there's a prison robot warder-type figure nearby. Kind of hard to describe, he almost looks like a corkscrew. Yes. With a little clock face on, on the handle and a red light on top. So if you can imagine that, I'll maybe try and build one and stick it in the socials. That Let's could, do that this. could be a project. Yes. Now that I've said it, I'll have to do it. So, Abra got his hand up to his chin looking a bit fed up, and he's saying, Just my miserable luck. I've been given an escape-proof robot as a cellmate. Escape-proofers can't be bribed. They sound an alarm if an escape attempt is made. They're foolproof. And the robot says, I am programmed to assist and entertain you in any manner short of actual escape. Okay. 
How about a file? A file is forbidden. It could be used to saw through cell bars. We're now in the bottom sequence of panels for page 10, and this is a great shot of Abracadabra. We see him from behind with his bandy legs, standing with his hands clasped behind his back as he talks to the robot, and he says, How about a corned beef on rye and a bottle of ice coli? Request granted. If you could only cook. I am programmed to serve more than 50 hot meals. Why must you answer every statement I make? I'd be better off if I didn't have to see or hear you. Yeah, or speak to you either. Request denied. Hey, I'm getting an idea. Ideas are not forbidden. I'll need a length of I-34 wire, two solar energy cells, some mini cobalt lenses. Why do you want these items? I'm going to make myself an educational toy to pass the time, says Abra, prodding the robot on the chest. The robot replies, it has therapeutic value. Permission granted. Never mind the small talk. Just grind out what I need. Abra narrates the next caption, which says, For two days I worked without sleep, much to the annoyance of my robot cellmate guard. You must sleep. Sleep, or I shall notify the authorities. All right, blabbermouth. See, I'm asleep already. No man can speak while he's asleep. Sir, I'm talking in my sleep, bonehead. My head is made of metal, not bone. This is quite funny because the robot is indeed pointing at its head. We can see that Abra in this panel is lying on his little bed, his prison cell bed, looking very annoyed, and he thinks... What did I ever do to deserve this? Even the flash is preferable to this corrugated conscience my jailers inflicted me with. But I'll be out of here soon, with the aid of this psychonizer I'm secretly making. Abra helpfully says in the next caption, Until the day came when... And we see him holding... The, oh, do you know what? It looks very much like the medallion that, that the man from Ceramic Castles passed on to the flash earlier on. Interesting. Abra is saying to the robot... See my pretty toy? It works like an anaesthetic applied to certain portions of the brain, even your brain, bonehead, so that anyone who gazes on it can see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I cannot see, hear, speak evil. Abra then says in the next panel, Check, you don't see me, nor will anyone else when I walk out of this prison, because I am utterly and totally evil. <laughs> he is. He just drips it, doesn't he? And that, I mean, that's, that's a tremendous panel, as you said. The reverse flash, receding hairline, comb-over, kiss-curl. They obviously don't have hair clippers, or they have weird ideas of vanity in the, the 64th. And... I think it's just a fashion choice. From it, it could be. Yeah, um, it's, it's all the rage. Yeah, interesting. So, Abra continues narration for the next panel. I burned a hole in the wall of my cell and calmly strode right out of that place. Next panel indeed shows the hole in the wall of the cell. Abra striding along, this cape over his arm, and he looks like he's zapping a prison guard with a little medallion that he's built. And as he does so, he says, Farewell, guards. I'm off for the 20th century to settle my score with The Flash and be set for life. So, over the page to page 12, Abra's narration of the flashback continues. We see him sat in his swanky pad that he set himself up with. His narration caption says, With that sordid experience behind me, I fled through time to the present, 
Eager to inflict my newfound power against my nemesis, the Flash. So we see Abra reading a newspaper in his fancy bachelor pad and he's thinking, I'll check up on Flash's recent activities so I can get in touch with him and... Hello? What's this? They're casting a Civic Centre production of A Connecticut Yankee. He continues an extreme close-up. What a tremendous Merlin I would make with my magic powers. And why not? To hear the rousing salvos of applause? To see my name in newspaper headlines and in theatre marquees? Ah, that would be living! It's painting a clear picture of him as a frustrated performer more than anything else. He is, absolutely. That's uh, his whole catastrophic uh, character flaw. Yeah. So, Mm. next panel, Abra's made a fist. This is a plan, he's into it. He continues to think. Sooner or later, I'm bound to run into Flash. This special detective ring will alert me to his presence whenever he comes within 50 yards of me. Yes, we see the ornate fancy bit of jewellery on his right hand. And in the next caption, he narrates, And this very night, my inventive genius paid off. And this little flashback panel, instead of being rounded nicely like the other ones, has the ripple effect and it shows Barry Allen shaking with John Cardine or Cardin, however we're pronouncing it, and John Cardin or Cardine, however we're pronouncing it, is gleefully smiling at Barry and thinking, So, your name is Barry Allen, but according to my detective ring, it's also The Flash. And then we are back with Abra in the present day. He's smiling to himself and thinking, (laughs) Barry Allen, Flash, sure was startled when I telepathically revealed his secret identity. I deliberately did that to get him to follow me. When I neared the ceramics castle and sensed it's being robbed, I went in, knowing Flash would follow me and grab those crooks. So yes, those voices that Barry heard at the start of the story was Abra's, if we didn't know that already. The final panel of page 12 shows Abra a very unflattering shot at the top of his head as he watches the Flash on his big TV screen, and he continues to think to himself, That gave me the opportunity to pose as the owner of the ceramic castle, and hand Flash this iconizer in the shape of a medallion. Now Flash can see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. (laughs) Laughing inside his own head, what a psycho. Top of page 13, there's yet another close-up of a smiling, delighted Abra, looking very adamant, it must be said, and he's thinking in this panel, It was demonstrated he could speak no evil by his inability to testify against those ceramics crooks. He could see nothing of the robbers and gangsters, nor even hear their voices and gunshots. The next panel shows Abra, Still watching the flash on his screen, now seeing the flash from behind as if the flash is turning a corner or out of the range of Abra's cameras. And Abra is thinking, And the best part of all this is, I am the only one who can remove this psychonic influence from Flash. Without my help, which he'll never get, he's doomed to remain that way the rest of his life. So, we shift from Abra. We're back with the flash. Caption for this panel says, Shortly, as Flash returns to Barry Allen's home... We see the Flash putting the key in the lock and he's thinking, Phew, this has been a day of days. John Cardin knows my secret identity. I brought four men to police headquarters without knowing why, and now... I was about to go into the home where I live as Barry Allen with my wife, Iris, still dressed as the Flash. Suppose I walked in and Iris were there. That would have been an eye-opener for her. Barry takes off the Flash uniform glove. 
caption for the next panel says Next moment, another secret spring is pressed and Flash's uniform shrinks and is drawn back into the ring. And that's what we see. And then the caption for the next panel says As Barry opens his house door, his eyes grow wide in sheer amazement. Yep, goggle-eyed Barry says I must be seeing things. What's this? Another complication? Another twist? Another fascinating facet to this tantalizing tale. Get set for a thrill as you're about to meet. And over the page, Barry declares, Dr. Fate, Flash of Earth 2, Dr. Midnight, what brings you here? And sure enough, we see Dr. Fate, the G. Garrick Flash of Earth 2, and Dr. Midnight. And we must point out, apart from that flashback in 167, uh-huh. the torturous, mopey, moppy story, which was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. This is the Earth 2 Flash, Jay Garrick's first appearance since Justice League of America issue 38. Yes. Which came out July 1965. And we're now into March 67. Wow. And Another it, two years. Yeah. And that was our 33rd episode, which <laughs> by our rough sort of reckoning, I think we've done about 25, 26, you know, allowing for flashbacks. I'm not sure quite where we are at the moment. Yeah. There's been about 25, 26 episodes. Gosh. Since we last saw Jay, given yeah. that we're, we're approaching 60, that's nearly half the episodes mm-hmm. that we've done without him. It's mental. Welcome back, old man. I know. So, Dr. Fate, Jay Garrick and Dr. Midnight, beholding Barry, and Jay Flash with his, his Mercury helmet at a very jaunty angle and a very lantern jaw, very loosely drawn, says, We had to see you alone, Barry. Something terrible is happening in your Earth. We have a caption for the next panel. It's a great hero shot of Kent, Jay and Chuck. The caption says, Yes, these are a trio of superheroes from that other Earth, which is a parallel of our own. On their world, they track down crime and evil, just as the Scarlet Speedster does on Earth 1. So yeah, if you're probably wondering why we were following this story with Barry Allen and Abracadabra and thinking, this has got bog all to do with the Earth 2 podcast mission statement, it's taken us to page 14 to finally reveal why. So, Jay continues in the next panel. But before we go into that, Flash, why didn't you stop all those crimes being committed tonight, right under your nose? And a perplexed Barry says, Crimes? What crimes? It was a real quiet night in Central City. And Dr. Midnight says, Hmm. Then let me tell you what you overlooked. Next panel is Barry sitting down looking very, very unhappy and sad, to be honest, as a caption it says. When Dr. Midnight relates what took place after Flash left the police station. And Barry says, And you say all these things happened without my being aware of it. And then Dr. Fate says, The answer must tie in with why we're here on Earth 1. Listen. And now it's Dr. Fate's turn for a flashback. As with some ripple panel effects, he narrates, Some time back in the Salem Tower, which is my magical lookout post. We see Dr. Fate with his crystal ball. The crystal ball is blazing with energy. And Fate is thinking, Incredible. My magic crystal has picked up an evil emanation extending through all space and time. So for page 15, the Doctor continues to narrate. With the aid of the supernatural wisdom and extraterrestrial knowledge which was given to me by Naboo the Wise, I tracked down that evil-filled energy. Doctor Fate is now standing. It looks like there's a little burst of flames coming out of his hands as he's looking at his crystal ball. And he says out loud, Far in the future it was born. Through time and space it has come. It tarries now in Central City, on Earth 1. But that is where Flash lives. He continues to narrate the next panel. My next move was to pay a visit to Jay Garrick, the Flash of my world, where, 
To my surprise and delight, I found... And this panel shows, obviously, Jay Garrick opening his, his home to welcome Dr. Fate in. Dr. Midnight's there already. Dr. Fate delightedly says... Dr. Midnight, how good to find you here too. This will interest you as well as Flash. Dr. Fate narrates the caption for the next panel. When I told of my discovery... Now we see Jay Garrick, Flash and Dr. Fate, although Jay's still in civvies at this point, and Dr. Midnight conversing here. And Jay is saying, You're right, Dr. Fate. We must alert Flash of Earth-1 to this threat. But we must proceed carefully, say in our civilian identities to avoid possible recognition and detection by the unknown evil menace. Dr. Fate says, To play it even safer, we'll contact Flash in complete secrecy. And Dr. Midnight adds, Hold on, I'm coming with you. Last time I saw Flash, he talked me out of joining him on a case. It's a little asterisk, which gives us a footnote, and it says, Flash 159, Flash's final fling. Yeah, it was that great story. That was a, that tricky episode where we did the two stories based on the same cover. That's where Flash said to Dr. McKnight, Not so fast, old man. That's right. Myself and the boy have this. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, <laughs> Dr. McNider, who I'm now playing as Scottish, you may have noticed, <laughs> listeners, because that was something suggested on Twitter. Dr. Midnight is not having it, he's going. Yes, so, quite right too. Quite right, he's not being left behind this time. So the caption that Dr. Fate narrates for the next panel says, Moments later, we were on our way to Earth 1. It's a very interesting panel, which is definitely going on the socials. The flash is spinning. It looks like the flash is vibrating and spinning at high speed, and there's a burst of energy around Dr. Midnight, who has his arms folded, and also a similar burst of energy around Dr. Fate. So I wonder if Jay is vibrating his way there, and the two doctors are being cast there by Dr. Fate's magic, what do you think? Possibly, yes. Mm. It certainly looks like they're travelling differently, unless uh, Dr. Fate's hooking into Jay's vibrational Could be. energies. Yep. I love the the focused determination on Dr. Midnight. Yes. He's like, I'm going. This is me. <laughs> yep. This is my moment. So, we're back in the present, and the caption for the next panel says, As Dr. Fate concludes his tale, Barry is saying to the Doctor, From what you've told me, and from what's already happened, I can only conclude that Abracadabra escaped his 64th century jail and has returned to Central City. Moreover, he's put a magic spell on me. Dr. Fate says, Magic spell? That's my department. I'll remove it. And the Doctor gestures in the next panel. If you want to copy this at home, he has his thumb extended, and his index finger and middle finger extended, and his pinky and his ring finger sort of folded down. And he's holding his hand up, this is his left hand, a burst of golden energy is radiating over Barry. Dr. Fate says, Eh? The spell is too powerful for me to remove. Some force beyond even my powers is at work here. But one thing I can do... Barry says, What's that, Dr. Fate? Over the page to page 16, Dr. Fate gestures. I can reveal Abracadabra's target for tonight. Looks like he's cast a bit of a spell over a table or something in Barry's apartment, and the surface of the table is turned you know, into a sort of viewing screen, and we can see some bad guys at work. Dr. Midnight says, Look, already thieves are there, stealing those gold artefacts. Barry says, I, I can't see a thing. Jake Arick says, I'm beginning to get an idea, a plan of action. Moments later, after Flash dons his uniform, the quartet of superheroes races out on the trail of Abracadabra. This is another terrific panel. Barry's at the foreground of the panel, starting to run. Jay's behind him. Next up is Dr. Midnight, and furthest away from the camera, as it were, is Dr. Fate. Barry Flash says, If I'm unable to see or hear anything evil that's going on, how can I fight it? Jay says, Have no fears in that score, Flash. Dr. Fate says, we aren't here as window dressing. 
Then to conclude this chapter, there's a caption box with a little, <laughs> a little hand indicating, making sure that we read the caption box. And this caption box says, With Flash senseless to evil, what can he possibly do against the Master Mage from the future? What plan has Flash from Earth 2 worked out? Story continues on third page following. The rest of that page is taken up with a nice, very, very, very bright and shiny house advert for issue 191 of Batman. There's a bat auction and everything must go. Past the letters page for the issue, this extra letters page for the issue, actually. And we arrive on page 17 and a caption box which says, The See Nothing Spells of Abracadabra, Part 3. Their opening caption box says, As the combined superheroes from two Earths thunder into the room with the golden loot, only Flash of Earth 1 is visible. The other Flash vibrates invisibly as a mantle of magic conceals Doctor's fate and Midnight. It's a very exciting looking panel with some proper bit of Carmine Flash artwork. The motion and the movement and also the lightning sort of sparking off behind him. That's, this is really nice. Might even put this one in the socials too. And we can see some bad guys. There's a guy in a purple suit and a guy in a green jumper. And the guy in a purple type suit says, Hold it! Here comes the Flash! Oh, don't worry about him, says a guy in a green jumper who's grabbing a very Easter Island looking statue. According to the grapevine, he's all washed up. As he runs in, the Flash is whispering, I still don't see anyone or hear anything. The next panel, we can see there's like an invisible phantom version of Jay Garrick Flash immediately following Barry. That's very effective. And the Jay Flash phantom is saying, You don't have to see anybody, Flash. I'll be your guide. I love it. Jay's vibrating into invisibility. Superb. So, we see a bad guy with a gun beholding Barry running towards him, and he says, Flash may be all washed up, but let's put him through the ringer with bullets just to make sure. We arrive then at the top of page 18, and Flash is rushing towards three gun-wielding bad guys. The guy in the purple suit says, We'll all fire together on target. And we also see in this panel the invisible, magically invisible Dr. Midnight. And he's thinking, here's what I pitch in, with a blackout bomb. And indeed, there's complete darkness in the next panel. We can see the three bodies, but we can't see much else. Purple suit guy says, Huh? Where'd that darkness come from? And green jumper guy says, only Flash could have done it. There's nobody else around. The next panel's a cracker because we see the purple guy and the green guy being taken out by Barry whose fists are being guided by the invisible J-Flash vibrating along behind him. So, purple guy's saying, He ain't even looking at us. Oh! And then green jumper guy says, And he hit us dead cell! Tremendous. Barry is thinking, I can't see or hear, but I can feel. I just sucked something. To one side of the Scarlet Speedster, Dr. Fate does his bit. We see the invisible Dr. Fate gesturing, using his magic, and two statues. They're almost like gladiators, actually, aren't they? Yeah. Coming to life, stepping down from the dais, the purple-suited bad guy says, Oh, the golden statues, coming alive. The green jumper guy says, There's something screwy going on around here. Let's beat it. Top of page 19, caption says, But as the terrified thieves try to flee... And these hapless thieves are having a terrible time of it. Dr. Fate gestures again, and it looks like they're being clobbered by some other statues. A big burst of golden energy. The guy in the green jumper says, Yeet! We're running on air and going no place! And the other guy says, Even worse, the statues are ganging up on us. Yeah, it's a bit messy, these pages. Anyway, the caption for the next panel says, In the darkest shadows, Abracadabra has stood transfixed by amazement as... Yeah, this is a very moodily shot panel of Abra. 
that again really accentuates the, the receding hairline kiss curl. Yeah. And you can see the twist of his moustache and the evil peak of his beard. And he's watching as Barry punches out the bad guys. Abra's thinking, amazing. Flash seems to have developed remarkable new powers since I put that spell on him. It was bad enough to arrive here and find other crooks stealing the gold I had marked as my own. Since my 64th century, there is no gold. It's all having been destroyed in an interplanetary war, making gold priceless. But now to find Flash like this is too much. All the gold was destroyed in an interplanetary war. There you go. That's mental. It must have been like a an alchemy war or a chemistry war or something. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm trying excited. to. When we do our comic book, we'll have to address that war. Yes. Interesting. Perhaps Gary Concord Ultraman fought in that war. Perhaps he did. I was thinking maybe as well that Hal Jordan, when he was transplanted to the future, could have taken place. Maybe, Take part of it. maybe some of the Legion, maybe Commandy, I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Oh, exciting. It's very interesting. The Cosmic Gold Wars of the 57th century. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> Yeah, that your first listeners coming soon at Kickstarter near you with character names that only sound suspiciously like the ones we're talking about. Yeah. So, final two panels of page 19. Abra continues to observe from the shadows as we see the invisible Dr. Midnight standing in front of Barry Flash. Dr. Midnight is thinking, my psychotuber affects the nerves of the human body, enabling me to control anyone it's fired at. As well as all the amazing other things it was doing in the in last the GLA, GLA. Yeah. Team up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These bad guys are having a hell of a time because they're now sort of, looks like they're floating up in the air. Abra is thinking, This is most astounding. Flash seems more super than ever. Could I have unwittingly given him these extra powers? Yeah, because as far as Abra's concerned, it must be the Flash that's doing it because he doesn't know about Dr. Midnight. So the final panel of page 19, we see Abra gesturing at the Flash. Now this looks like we could actually be almost at the, the opening splash panel, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a burst of green energy as Abra gestures towards Barry and Abra's thinking, To play it safe, I'll cause the floor to change its structure, fashion wooden hands to grip and hold them tight, while I make off with the gold that will make me the wealthiest man in the 64th century. Yeah, and sure enough, we see the hands forming out the ground and grabbing Barry by the ankles and feet. Uh-oh! Over the page to page 20. Moments later, the wooden hands lift Flash, swing him round and round. There's now one giant wooden hand reaching out from the floor. It's grabbed Barry by the right leg and it's swinging him around. And a rather surprised looking Abra says, Hey, what's this? How can my wooden hands act on their own? On the far right of the panel, we can see the invisible Doctor Fate gesturing towards Barry. And he's thinking, The answer is magic, a la Doctor Fate. But Abracadabra doesn't know that. And now... Caption for the next panel says... Like a living bullet, these hands hurl the flash straight on target. Yes, yeah, so the wooden hands have swung Barry round, sent him firing towards Abracadabra. With a zwop, Barry Flash collides. Abra's kiss curl goes flying up in the air. And he says... A victim of my own wooden hands! Whoa! victim of my own wooden hands. It's yes. happened to us all. Is that not a Mansfield B-side? I think it could be. Yeah. I think it was on Daydreamer, one of, quite an early one. They, did, they stopped playing it live quite early on because oh, it wasn't that good, to be honest. Okay. So the background of this panel, we can, we can see the invisible Dr. Midnight still with his psychotuber, and he thinks, I'll cushion the blow for Flash so he doesn't feel a thing. So, psychotuber is just a magic gun that can do anything. I'm glad this is probably the last time we see it. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the caption for the next panel. Driven back into the very golden horde he seeks to steal, the master of magic snarls in fury. Yeah. 
She had them sort of colliding with all the golden statues. And as he falls back, he says, That's only one answer. By removing your ability to see, hear, and speak evil, I've increased your powers. But you're still no match for me, Flash. I'm the greatest magician of all time and space. Yeah, and Abra gestures, with a now trademark little burst of green energy, Barry Flash starts spinning in midair. But Dr. Fate tries to counter it, and he thinks, Strange, my magic doesn't stop the Flash. The final panel of page 20, see Barry colliding with her, obviously with force with the ground. Abra, grasping a bit of gold that he's after, laughs and says, <laughs> That stops you dead. And just behind him, from the perspective of the way he's been drawn, we see Dr. Midnight reassuring the invisible Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight says, Flash is still under the influence of my psychotuber, Dr. Fate. He won't be harmed, Dr. Fate says. I wasn't able to stop his spinning, but I can do something else to help him. We arrive at the top of page 21 now. As the Wonder Wizard hurls his necromantic lightnings. We have a point of view shot. It's kind of behind Abra. And it looks like there's about seven or eight different body flashes all vibrating in front of him. Abra is thinking. Fantastic. Flash has divided himself into multiple flashes. Too many even for me to handle. I, I, I've got to, to, to remove the spell I put on him. The next panel is classic looking Carmine. Look at, the, look at that perspective. Look at the yep. detail on those nostrils. Indeed. We're looking up the noses of the Flash and Dr. Midnight with Dr. Fate standing in the background. J. Flash is saying, My plan to help Flash, but make it seem like he was doing all those super stunts under his own power is paying off. Dr. Fate says, Yes, you said we had to trick Abracadabra into removing that spell on Flash. And he did. And Dr. Midnight says, From now on, we'll let Flash handle Abracadabra his own way. Caption of the next panel. The next moment. Barry Flash zooming towards Abra. Barry's saying, Abracadabra, now that I can see you. Seeing isn't enough, my flashy foe. A burst of green energy gestured at the Flash. The Flash seems to be running past him in the next panel. As Abra says, Ha! You're too fast for your own good, Flash. You ran right past me. The caption then for the final panel of page 21. In the wake of the super speedster come the chaos thieves. Terrific. Barry knows what he was doing. He wasn't ignoring Abra. And he says, I wasn't aiming myself at you. I was aiming those fellow travellers. And with a zwump and an oof from Abra, Barry has created a vortex and tailed all the bad guys that everyone else knocked out along behind him. And they've collided with Abra, knocking him down. Top of page 22. First caption says, the magician from the future may be down, but he isn't out. Abra gestures, little burst of green energy. He says, H How does this grab you, Flash? We're finally at the opening splash panel. As Barry thinks, ah, He's constricting my uniform, making it smaller and tighter, crushing me to death. His body caught as if in the coils of a boa constrictor, the fastest man on Earth 1 takes the one desperate chance for victory. Got to vibrate fast enough to invisibly run out from under my uniform, overcome Abracadabra before he notices I'm outside the uniform. Barry thinks, yeah, I'm sure, we see him vibrating so quickly that the costume falls down behind him. In the next panel, he zooms forward with a zock, punches out Abra, thinking, did it, with a flash fist flush on the jaw. Next panel shows him vibrating back into his costume, pulling him back on as Abra falls back. Barry thinks, when I knocked him out, his magic stopped. My uniforms returned to its right size, enabling me to put it back on. A quartet of jubilant superheroes stands over the inert evildoer. Dr. Fate observes, 
I'm still puzzled why my counter magic didn't stop him. And we get a little asterisk and a sidebar which says, Darn clever, DC. Readers know that Dr. Fate's magic didn't work because Abracadabra was using 64th century science to make his feet seem like magic. He really wasn't using magic at all. Very naive of Dr. Fate not to spot that if you ask me. <laughs> so, Jay Garrick Flash observes, What'll we do with Abracadabra? Barry says, I'll take him back to his own time on my cosmic treadmill after I see you off to Earth 2 and take the crooks you helped me capture to jail. Top of page 23 then. Upon his return from the 64th century, Flash changes into his Barry Allen identity and... See Barry at the top of the stairs to the Allen's apartment, thinking, I hope that future prison will hold Abracadabra this time. There's a nice, obviously Murphy Anderson influenced film room in the background as we see Iris... Getting out of the car. She's finally arriving home, having missed all of this. Barry says, Iris, you're getting home kind of late. Margot and I had so much to talk about, but how come you're so late? I ran into some old friends too. They were in town for only a short time. Oh, I'd like to meet them sometime. You will, dear. You will. As they move inside, Barry thinks, Once I finally make up my mind to tell her that I'm the Flash. The end. There we are. Of course, this is after they're married, but it was only their first wedding anniversary that Barry decided to finally reveal he was the Flash, but Iris already knew because yes. Barry talks in his sleep. Amazing. So she kept the secret all that time. That was highly enjoyable. It was. What did you think then? I thoroughly enjoyed it. Abracadabra is one of my favourite villains because he is so ridiculous. His whole motivation is for attention and for being loved and appreciated and basically... If you applaud him, then, you know, he's kind of powerless because that's exactly what he's looking for. It's this psychological flaw that he has and he just craves fame and attention and he's ridiculous because of that. <laughs> and I love every utterance from his mouth because he is so absurd, but so menacing. He's got no moral compass at all and really does anything he can just to get fame and attention. And obviously this crime caper he's doing is just, I mean, it's to an end really of just mm. becoming more infamous, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's just, I just love him. He's fantastic. He's obviously, he's an interesting case because, you know, I suppose you're seeing you know, the pathological attention seeker, but he's also, mm. like, he's obviously extremely vain. Yes. If he has that balding kiss curl uh -huh. thing, you know, he's, yeah. he's too unaware of his own feelings and mm. completely self-lacking in awareness. So, yeah. you know, which all feeds into exactly everything you're saying. Mm. I think as a story, I think it's maybe one of the most ordinary golden age, silver age hero team-ups that we've done. I mean, there was yeah. no cosmic level threat. Uh -huh. It was almost like another, just a regular Flash story mm -hmm. that kind of plodded along and then Jay Kent and Chuck turned up. I mean, it could have been Wally. Or yeah. it could have been Hal Jordan that turned up to help him with the engine. It was nice to see Jay for the first time in ages. It was nice to see Dr. Midnight getting stuck in because he didn't get a chance the last time he had turned up in the Flash. Mm. I don't really have too much to say about it. It was okay. Yeah. I didn't dislike it. Mm. It rattled along. I enjoyed the scenes of Barry being oblivious to the crimes. The moody shots of, of the, the other three in disguise so they could observe. They were all really good. I liked the little Earth 2 flashback vignette where we saw how they all figured out what was going on and they were going to have to go and help Barry. I don't really have too much else to say about it. It was it wasn't bad. Yeah. That's about mm -hmm. it. You know, I enjoyed the fights at the end when they were helping Barry because Barry didn't know what he was you know, yeah. couldn't see what he was doing. All that was quite imaginative. It was fine. I'm not gonna condemn it by saying it was functional. Uh -huh. It was alright. It's interesting the fact that Barry chose as Flash 
to walk home that night, the night that is the most crime ever well, in Central City. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's there's, bizarre. There's one panel, this, the splash panel that starts, I think, the second chapter. It's quite... It's not very clear. I mean, one of his legs is sort of at an angle that, that does make it look as if he's running, but then when Abra's observing him, he looks like he's just casually strolling uh-huh. and is completely... Maybe that was just a side effect of the magic, I suppose. He was pretty chill about yeah. all that. I was... you think he might have been a bit more suspicious. Mm. Yeah, but then if he couldn't see or hear any of it, then he was probably just thinking, "Oh, right, okay." Out of mind as well. Yeah, and in fact, he just casually strolls up to Barry Allen's front door and full flash costume gets a key out to open up. <laughs> Surely you would just run at super speed and buy routes through the wall, Barry, so that people don't see what's the flash doing at yeah, Barry Allen's the flash house. Going at Barry's house. Yes, I mean, I think obviously in the Abra's magic must have some kind of other further senses dulling, you know, yeah. dulling effect. Quite it was, possibly, um, it was quite interesting. Possibly. As a fan of the Golden Age guys, it was nice to have them pop up. I liked how the story kind of, there was no hint on the cover that they were in it. Uh-huh. You know, it was sort of drip fed that there was some guy, Woody guys, uh-huh. who were watching in secret with no real clue to who they were. Yeah. And then when they, re- they were revealed, it was a nice little bonus. Yeah. As I say, it really just felt like a, a regular Flash story, but with a nice mm-hmm. sort of, a nice cameo twist, or an extended cameo twist, yeah. I suppose. I think Gardner's probably thought it's been a while since we've had Jay turn up in the book, and then he's looked back at the previous Earth 2 appearances in the book and thought, oh, we just left Doctor Midnight that time. Maybe we should bring him in, and he's a big fan of Doctor Fate as well. So yeah. it's a natural to do of those three. So yeah, definitely quite a possibility. Yes, yeah, Doctor Fate. Certainly recently, he's had a lot more exposure than Jay has. Always good to see him. Yep. Shall we jump onto the reader response? I'd love time? to. Sure. Shall we? Yes. Now these letters are from issue one hundred and seventy-three. Which, if you're a clued-up Golden Age DC guy or JSA fan or whatever, you'll know that we'll be doing the story from from issue one seventy-three before too very long indeed, but we'll say no more about it at this time. So, Flashgrams from 173, the first letter, goes a little something like this. Dear Editor, Merci, no, make that merci beaucoup for a spectacular issue of The Flash number 170. As usual, I will cite the ABCs behind my reasoning. A. Guest stars. Dr. Fate, Dr. Midnight and the original Flash were welcome additions to the cast. I am a staunch supporter of the Justice Society of America and am praying for the day when this famed organisation will once more carry the DC banner in a magazine of its own. Mm. Until that happy day arrives, I will always make do by rushing to the stands to see them on a guest star basis, whether in the Justice League or Flash. B. Magic. If there was one predominant theme permeating this issue, it was the occult. Seldom has a story been so thoroughly saturated with magic as was the see-nothing spells of Abracadabra. It was magic, or 64th century science if you insist on semantics, that enabled our future villain to escape from his prison cell. It was this power that made Flash oblivious to all crimes being committed in his midst. It was this awesome means that enabled Dr. Fate to detect Flash's dilemma, and it was also magic on the part of your writer and artist's that made it possible for us to enjoy one of the best climactical battles in comicdom history. C, and this is a, a Gardner special, what if angle. <laughs> Rarely do superheroes come to the rescue of their comrades in arms when the situation warrants it. Therefore, under conventional rules, two alternatives might have taken place. Flash could have been permanently defeated, or Abracadabra might have been outwitted by a clever ruse on the part of the Scarlet Speedster. But... What if another superhero, in this case not one but three, had sized up the problem and had decided to come to the aid of our boy in red? Congratulations to Gardner Fox for having hit upon this premise and resolving it so magnificently. But wait, 
there's more for this master. Mr Fox is to be commended for having broken away from the conventional mould on two additional accounts. It was so refreshing to see the good guy fail to see all angles of the case. When Dr Fate says, I'm still puzzled why my counter magic didn't stop him. I felt like saying, welcome to the club. For once, one of you guys is stymied, a very human trait. Equally admirable was Kadabra's failure to comprehend why he was defeated. It always irks me to see the hero at the end of a harrowing experience inform the vanquished foe in an almost apologetic manner just exactly how he was apprehended in lieu of locking him straight to jail with no questions asked. And that treatise is from <laughs> our old friend Joseph Arrell from New York, New York. Yeah, he makes a lot of good points there, actually. Yep. Was, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, that did we get a point when Dr. Fate completely figured out that, you know, Abra was the source of the evil. I like that, that they, they didn't explain to her, but yeah, that's, that's true. No real editorial response, just an introduction to the next letter, which sort of goes like this. Dear Editor, Excited expectation tinged my first reading of the see-nothing spells of Abracadabra, evidently written in response to those irate readers who demanded something more than a previously shown panel of Dr. Midnight's uniform. <laughs> yep, uh-huh. It was excellent as only a Flash comic can be, but for your abuse of Abracadabra. Gosh. Mm. The old Abracadabra appeared only once, when he revelled in the thought of applause. There was no trace of the pilgrim to the 20th century, the slightly patronising individual in his dream era who needed applause for his tricks to succeed, but instead found notoriety, who, to escape omnipervasive science, as opposed to magic, made his way to the past, where he hoped to meet Houdini. Instead, we find a practical, scientific genius, in his own words, utterly and totally evil, Whereas he once viewed Flash as an antagonist whom he could most effectively vanquish by humiliating, he now prepares to kill him without any ado. Abra has become what he fancies as the essence of villainy. His character is totally lost in evil, but is not so wicked as to be memorable. Such idiosyncrasies as his use of impeccable English have been sacrificed to a heavy-handed humour, which obviated his own interest. Made obvious, I suppose, yeah. This is a very wordy, mm -hmm. pretentious letter, isn't it? He has become merely a poltroon, Flash must put in jail by the end of the story. Gardner Fox's great abilities lie in another direction. What he does with the Hawkman tales surely indicates his strength, but to remain a figure of interesting evil, Abracadabra should be entrusted to his originator, John Broom. I trust that you do not feel too downhearted, for I am working on the premise that loud enough objections inspire a story of such calibre as the see-nothing spells, which, with the exception of the treatment of the magician, proved itself. That very wordy epistle is from Alexandra Bethune, Ottawa in Canada. There's one final letter. Dear Editor, may I be among the first to congratulate you on another flashy masterpiece? I refer, of course, to The See Nothing Spells of Abracadabra. I have never read an Abracadabra tale that grabbed me like this one. The cover itself was worth framing. The combination of action art and moods with Flash's casual cover comment made it absolutely priceless. And then, by the fourth story panel, I was helplessly hooked. I was glad to see later on that the story became even more promising than the cover. The humour in pages 10 and 11 may be frowned upon by others, but I thought it was super. When Abracadabra thought perhaps he had unwittingly given Flash magical powers, it was practically admitting that he didn't consider himself perfect. New things happen every day. But the stopper was when Flash left his uniform, a fraction of a second maybe, to have the punch delivered by Barry Allen's fist. Although this is the first time I've written you, if you keep your mags worth writing about, I'll keep writing. And that's from, obviously, first-time writer Billy Neville from Raleigh, North Carolina. 
nice one. I mean, the reaction fairly positive, apart from the maybe the use of Abra, which is fair enough, I suppose. Yes, uh, although I've got a bit of a bone to pick with that second one. Right. There's room for character development with Abra, and also because Abra's from another century, who's to say that we're actually getting Abra's tales in his chronological order? Ah, Timey-wimey. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Because as time goes on in the Flash stories, Abra does become a bit more vindictive against uh, Barry, which we might cover much later on in the Bronze Age of comics. So who's to say this isn't a version of Abra from later on in his career where he feels a bit more persecuted by Barry and has a bit more yeah. of a vendetta against that's, him? That's a good point. I mean, obviously, similar stuff was done with um, the reverse Flash Yeah, uh-huh. a bit later on, and obviously the period we'll be covering him. That's an excellent point. I wonder if Gardner thought of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's one last point I'd like to like make as well. The scene where the ceramics factory owner, or Abra as we know, Gave Barry the medallion and Barry's going, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> Barry, you've got a whole museum filled with all these medals and Man of the Year awards and everything that the city gives you. You've got rooms filled with statues of your rogues. You've got replicas of all their weapons. You've got a massive building. And, you know, that's there'll be a cabinet in there yeah. with, with medallion from Ceramics owner written on it. <laughs> so people can go and visit and go, oh, oh look at that. That's the and then walk medallion on. from the Ceramics one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So yeah, don't don't think, I think about um, that. I think Barry needed you in his life. <laughs> Quite frankly, as a as a as a lifestyle guru, stroke coach, to kind of point these things out to him. I mean, Dexter Mills needs something to dust. Let's be honest. That's a fair point. Yep. <laughs> Not my favourite of the GA guest star stories that we've done. Mm, still lots of fun. Still lots of fun. Yeah. It's it was Abra's story, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I like yeah. the fact there are two flashbacks in it and they're both from good point of point of view and bad point of view, both from the magical people. Yeah. Which was quite Aye, cool. I like yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. So lots of fun to be had in that issue. Always. But yeah. yes. But what did you think about that issue? Please get in touch and let us know. You can email us at the earth 2 podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you check out our website, that's the earth 2 podcast.com. And also follow us on social media if you don't already. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth Two Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth Two, and it's the number two for all of our social media. Yep, as usual, I'll encourage our listeners to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages for all the for all the joyous supplementary bonus content that we'll put up there just to enhance your experience. So do check them out if you can. Indeed. So on that note, I've been Abracadabra, <laughs> and I've been Doctor Midnight. And we'll talk to you next time on The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Merci. No. Make that.